happy listeners. This is Rose McConnell, and you're listening to the Fit Institute Podcast. Today is episode two of season one of the podcast, and in this first season, we are focusing on student loans and understanding the whole world of student loan environment. And episode one was dedicated to the FAFSA and learning a little bit about the FAFSA. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that, I urge you to go back and do so. As you may know, if you listen to the first two episodes, I am an attorney and the author of a book called Shun Student Loans, because I think student loans are very high-risk loans, and all the evidence is on the side that they are very high-risk loans and perhaps a dangerous thing for you to undertake on trying, while you're trying to get an education. If you read my book, one of the things that you see is that I'm very concerned that people seem to be very nonchalant about the amount of debt that they're taking on to go to college. Even parents seem to be quite nonchalant about the amount of debt their children are taking on, and I have no idea why this is. Debt is difficult to repay. It can be enormously burdensome, and you should always understand the repayment obligations that you undertake whenever you take on debt. From what I can see from talking to my son's friends and from my reading, people have an extremely optimistic view about how much money they will be earning when they get out of college and an extremely unrealistic view about how much money it will take to repay their debt. And there's really no excuse to not have a very clear picture of exactly what is required to repay debt. There are now, I think all the lenders are required to provide a, an ongoing total of the loans that you have outstanding and what the monthly payments are on those. And so I'm assuming everybody has got a calculator and can add up those totals and see exactly how much money that they're going to have to pay. I think a lot of people, perhaps the response to, to that information, though, is sort of a, a sense of, well, there's nothing that I can do about that now. And so sort of like Scarlett O'Hara said in the I'm Gone with the Wind, I can't think about it today. I'll go crazy. If I do, I'll think about it tomorrow. I am here to tell you that's a very bad plan when it comes to taking on debt obligations. So let's talk about what your options are and who you're going to encounter in the world that you'll meet up with after you have completed the FAFSA application, which is we talked about earlier is the free application for federal student aid. And as noted earlier, the application is free, but the aid could cost you a great deal of money because loans and grants are both treated as financial aid. Loans bear interest and must be repaid. Grants are, in fact, free money. So loans are much more costly than grants, and they should not be lumped together. When you're thinking about the amount of financial aid that you're going to get going to college, you need to make a very clear distinction in your mind between loan funds and grant funds. Of course, scholarships can be in another form of a grant, and they can be valuable, but I think people have an inflated idea of how valuable they may be. If your plan is, as some people do, to get multiple relatively small scholarships and add up those relatively small scholarships that don't have as many applicants, that may require a great deal of work on your part to, to get those scholarships. If you have success with that approach and are, in fact, able to raise a relatively significant amount of money, 
One of the downsides is that you'll find is that you're required to disclose those scholarship funds on your FAFSA report, and they will offset, the college will offset any grant funds that you otherwise would have been given against the scholarship that you had raised. So if you had already qualified for, let's say, $3,500 of Pell Grant funds or perhaps other grant funds that the college makes available, and you raise $4,000 in scholarship, you're almost certain to lose the $3,500 in Pell Grant funds that you otherwise had been awarded. If this sounds wrong, I think it's because you don't really understand how the college quote-unquote financial aid system works. In my opinion, colleges act as many, not 100%, but many, many colleges, too many and more than likely than not the colleges you're going to be dealing with, act as a cash extraction machine. You tell them how much money you have or how much money you can borrow and then they tell you how much you have to pay them. And as noted in, in the prior episode, there's no place else in the world that operates like that. And college financial aid officers are often friendly, kind people, and they seem to have your best interests at heart. But who pays their salary? You do not pay their salary. The college pays their salary. And their job, is to get the maximum number of students attending that college paying the maximum amount of tuition that they can cause those students to pay or those families to pay. And so when you're dealing with a financial aid officer, I don't want you to go in there with the impression that they are there to help you. They are there to represent the interests of the college to give you enough grant and aid to cause you to come to that college even if the cost of that college is substantially more than you can afford. That is the job of the financial aid officer. Because they are friendly and warm to you, do not mistake them as your friend. As an attorney, I always think it's really clear to be clear, to, to, to know who you represent or who represents you. Who's the client here? Well, in that case, the college is the financial aid officer's client. You're not. You are, in legal parlance, adverse to them. And as I say, no matter how nice they are to you and how much they tell you they want to help you and how much they say that they're working with you and your family, they represent the interests of the college, and you need to bear that in mind at all times when talking with them. I want to mention something that in some ways ought to seem obvious but is overlooked by many people. Many people seem to believe that if a private college offers them a substantial amount of financial aid, that that private college may be less expensive than a public university. And unless we're talking about a place like Yale or perhaps Harvard or some of the extraordinarily well-known Ivy League universities, that is almost always not going to be the case. One thing that happens with many private colleges is they do something that's called front-loading their financial aid packages, the grants that you get in the first year to encourage you to come there don't automatically renew in the second year. And that may not at all be straightforwardly stated in your application package. 
further, I think there's a tendency of families and students to kind of, again, in the Scarlett O'Hara mode, even when they know this is true, think that they'll think about that tomorrow and something will happen next year. Well, what's going to happen next year is you're going to lose that front-loaded grant and tuition is going to go up 5 to 7%, and your ability to pay that tuition at that private college is going to be non-existent, and you're going to turn, to turn to loans, and you're going to take on debt. So from a starting point, I would say if unless money is no object, and if money is no object, there's no point in you listening to this podcast because it is designed to reach people where money is most definitely an object. Uh, so if money is a concern, your first place you need to look are at public institutions, and you need to look at them with an eye to the cost. And while you're thinking about the cost, I would urge you to con- seriously consider the option of the community college for two years and then finishing your degree at another university. You're going to have your degree from the university from which you graduate. And your employer in the future will never know or care where you spent your first two years of college. And yet you can achieve significant savings if you spend two years in community college prior to moving into university. Further, if you're in community college, you should easily be able to work a significant amount of time because you should be able to structure your coursework in a way that allows you to have a paying workload while you're in school. And this can result in substantial savings because you should be able, if you're living at home and you're working a serious amount of work, meaning 25 to 30 hours a week, you sh- and plus time in the summers, you should be able to get through your first two years of community college without taking on any debt whatsoever. So instead of looking at those private college financial aid packages, which, as I say, are often going to be front-loaded and are going to be very misleading about what the actual costs are that you will incur in going there, I would urge you to get serious and look at your local community colleges and, and see what you can put together to get two years of college under your belt with zero debt and actually maybe even some savings. And while I think it should go without saying, it obviously cannot go without saying because hundreds of people and maybe thousands do this every year is under no circumstances should you use any college funds from any source whatsoever, your parents' savings, your grandmother's savings, your gift from your uncle, your student loans, your grant funds, your scholarships, whatever money that you have should never, ever be used for remedial education. Many Perhaps most people who start college needing remedial education don't graduate in any case. And if you're wasting tuition dollars taking remedial education classes, then you're putting yourself at a high risk for being a dropout, for owing a significant amount of debt, and for having no degree for, for your time spent in college. If you need remedial work, There are so many options to get good remedial work. There's so many online courses. There's your local Boys and Girls Club. There's a teacher from your your high school who surely in your years at high school, you had a good relationship with a teacher who can give you some ideas about how you can pursue getting the remedial education that you need prior to enrolling in college. I just cannot overemphasize how misguided it is to 
begin college and then spend time in college taking remedial work. That just is not a productive use of your time. Another risk with plunging into college directly from high school that I think is not talked about often enough is that you may well not have the experience of structuring your life in a way that allows you to do what you need to do in order to be successful in college. It's not just that you have to go to class and that you have to study for exams. You also have to have a meal plan. You have to figure out when you're going to feed yourself, when you're going to do laundry, when you're going to go to bed, when you're going to get up in the morning. And if you are someone who's always lived at home and has always sort of had a mom who's provided a lot of structure or a dad who's provided a lot of structure in your life, handling all of that structure on your own behalf may be quite daunting. And it may be more than you can handle together with the college-level workload that you're undertaking. And the challenge with doing that is it increases your chance that you're going, frankly, to drop out or to fail out. And that can have quite devastating consequences. Here in Georgia, we have something called the HOPE Scholarship, H-O-P-E, the HOPE Scholarship, which is a very valuable scholarship for Georgia residents. It's pays roughly 70-75% of tuition at any Georgia university. However, in order to maintain that scholarship, you need to maintain a B average. And if you are dealing with all the challenges of managing your life on a daily basis, plus adjusting to college, that may be a hurdle that you can't cross, even though you were an A and B student in high school. That may be more that you can do. If you lose the hope, you may never regain it in your whole college. If you have three Fs because you dropped, stopped coming to school without withdrawing, that is going to wreak such havoc with your grade point average that you may never recover the hope. And you'll be able to get a good job if you come back later and do serious work and can show an employer, yes, I had this bad semester and I really messed up a lot of things, but look how I recouped and I had this work-study program and I did these additional things and I ended up with, you know, a decent GPA and a, and a good major. An employer is going to overlook that, but you're still going to be out of pocket all that money. As I say, there's a lot of risk, I think, about people beginning college straight out of high school, especially if they're going to be relying on financial aid because there's just there's the front-loading front practices of the universities. There's the risk that you're not going to be ready to do the things that you need to do in order to maintain the financial aid that you have. And to be frank, there's a substantial risk that you don't understand the nature of the debt that you're taking on. If you're willing to take that personal responsibility and you'll take it now or you'll take it later, personal responsibility is the, the one thing that's guaranteed in life, is I would urge you to pick up my book, Shun Student Loans, and to start looking at what you can be doing prior to going to college. Start looking at some of the examples in there where I talk about compound interest, the effect on savings, the effect on a loan, and really help you work through an understanding of what it's going to mean to take on debt to go to college. Gives you some good questions to think about in your own life about money and, and savings. And so I would urge you to take on that book. And so that's today's podcast. It's just sort of a general overview of the world of financial aids, grants, and scholarships. This is episode two 
of the Fit Institute podcast. As I mentioned before, I am an attorney, but this podcast doesn't provide legal advice. I'm only providing my opinion about student loan debt. If you have questions about any matter discussed in this episode or comments or, uh, or questions about matters that you would like to see addressed in future episodes, please contact me at fit.institute, and I would love to address uh, any particular types of questions that you have. really want to make this a useful podcast to my listeners and their families. I am planning on bringing on some people who have uh, gotten through college in 2018, have graduated from college with no student loan debt. So this is something that people can do. Ordinary people like you have done it and are doing it right now. Please uh, consider signing up for us on Stitcher or iTunes so that new episodes are automatically dropped to you when they come out on Mondays or Thursdays. And I look forward to speaking with you in the future. As I say, you can reach us at any time at fit.institute. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye.